It's really wonderful to be with you again. When Dream and I get to come here uh, to Fellowship Bible Church, we feel like we're, in a sense, coming home. Uh, we, like any opportunity or any excuse that gets us within your range, and being here all week to uh, share with these, these wonderful teenagers you have in this church is a real privilege. We're really looking forward to being with them, and I know you're proud of them. Um, just some outstanding young people. I look forward to getting to know them a little bit better. Um, we come because uh, the Bible actually commands us to love you, uh, but the Bible doesn't say I have to like you, but we do. And that makes it even all the more glorious when we love one another and we like one another. And Dream and I really like being here with you, so thank you for having us all week. Uh, I think it'll be a great week. As uh, we're sharing these things at my church in uh, First Baptist Church in Damascus, Damascus has 873 people on a good day. And, uh, and our little church there in, in the town, we're going through the book of Philippians. I find Philippians a wonderfully compelling book. It has so many applicable things. And although this book is written nearly 2,000 years ago, my goodness, it just is everywhere right up in where we're living. And today I want to share with you just a few verses from the first chapter. I wish we had time to, uh, to go through it little by little and build up to it. But we want to jump in right in this very, very important uh, paragraph as it's going into chapter 2. And I think it's helpful for us today because of the uncertainty of our times. Um, the, the Bible book that we're studying, Philippians, is we're looking at it as uncommon faith, descriptions of uncommon faith. But we look today to this idea of uncommon conduct, which is asking us to take a stand in uh, a time when taking a stand may not be very popular. But God is giving us some really good information on how to do that. When I was growing up in a little neighborhood uh, in southern West Virginia, just south of Beckley, uh, which is uh, Daniels, West Virginia, near Shady Spring, uh, we had a lot of haulers here. I've tried to find haulers in Jefferson County, but this being the most sophisticated county in the state of West Virginia, I don't know if you just have many of those. I've searched unsuccessfully. But we had a little haulers. You went up our little road, it had a horseshoe set of hills around it. It was a boy's playground extravaganza. And it seemed like the houses that were being built on this street all had boys my age. I mean, it was great. Um, this this uh, road was genetically programmed to be fun. And uh, all the boys were within two or three years of age. There's always someone to play with, always something to do. But it was made especially neat because there were always some new houses being built. And construction sites are a playground for, for young boys. Um, so we would get on there and we would like to see any time there was a dirt pile. Any kind of a pile of anything. A pile of brush, a pile of gravel, a pile of sand, a pile of just dirt. And it would signal to us the beginning of one of the, the most wonderful uh, character building things ever invented among mankind. A game called King of the Hill. Um, I can see some of you nodding. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? King of the Hill only has two really uh, important rules to it. One, if you happen to scramble up first, you're the king. And your job is to stay there. The second rule is anyone underneath you clawing their way up can do anything they want to do to try to unseat your throne as king. They can claw, scratch, spit, kick, dismember. It's all legal. The neat thing about king of the hill, there's no rules. 
And so you're taking the stand up there. And if you're at the apex, you're you're just in a fight and people are calling, throwing. And it's fun because if you get thrown down a little pile of gravel or something, I mean, what's it going to do? You just hit slide down with gravity and claw your way back up to unseat the new king. Hard to be king for very long. But the goal is to take your stand no matter what. Character. Character is what it builds. Today, we are being called to take a stand. In this country and in this world, there are a lot of challenges. Some great privileges, but there's a lot of challenges. And in that time, when we take our stand, sometimes it's going to be hard. Unlike King of the Hill in my neighborhood, God does give us some rules to play by. Gives us some conduct that we are supposed to observe as we take our stand. And he tells us about them in Philippians chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Philippians 1. And we're going to start in verse 27 and read and see what Paul has to say to us, the church. Here's what it says, Philippians 1, 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Remember that Paul, when he is writing this, is under house arrest. He's being imprisoned by the Roman government for talking about Christ. Chained all the time to a Roman guard, he has been denied his constitutional rights. He cannot move about freely. He understands what it means to be under the gun and in the heat of the kitchen. So he writes this to us so that we can understand what we should do. And the first thing, if you're writing things down, you'll see in your bulletin, there's some places to take notes if you would like to. Paul is trying to get the church ready for the unknown. I like the way this starts. Whatever happens. That kind of covers it all, doesn't it? Whatever happens, whether good, bad, indifferent, this is how we are to conduct ourselves. And we don't know what's going to happen. Does anybody here know who's going to win the election in November? I don't know. I don't know. All I do know is that God will ordain the person who has chosen to lead this nation according to his will and his purposes. God is in control of who is in control. That's plain in scripture in Romans 13. But I don't know who it's going to be and I don't know the implications of what's going to happen after that election. I don't know what terrorists are going to do. No one knows what terrorists are going to do. I don't know if they'll make inroads. I don't know if they'll have any more successes. We don't know how many instances we're going to have to defend ourselves. We don't know. We don't know. I don't know what the atmosphere will be like in America toward Christianity in the year 2026 in 10 years. It might be more hostile. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe God will, will be pleased to unleash a revival upon our nation. I'd be okay with that. I'd be okay with that. But we just don't know. So Paul gives us this. Whatever happens, this is what we're supposed to do. This is how we're supposed to conduct ourselves. And it's uncommon conduct. He's trying to say here to prepare the church for the inevitable pushback. 
that comes whenever truth is proclaimed. Difficult times may appear. Stressful challenges may come. Persecution may happen. But what should be our response? Here is where we find our whatever. And the first whatever is this, that we are to conduct ourselves and live in a worthy manner. No matter what happens, we're to represent Christ in an outstanding way, to be great examples and visual images of what it means to follow after Christ. And if we can do this, we're going to bring glory and we're going to bring praise to our Father in heaven. So he says this, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And our conduct is simply the manner in which we live. Conduct, uh, we're to, to conduct ourselves as God's child, a citizen of heaven, and a follower of Christ. People should be able to see evidence on the outside of what has happened to us on the inside. That's just true, isn't it? They should be able to see Christ reflected in us and see how we are living to, re- to show what Christ's reality can be in a person's life. He says this in many places, not just in Philippians, but read with me, if you will, from uh, Ephesians chapter 4. Would you read out loud together with me? As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Very simple admonition there and encouragement. Live worthy. You've received a great calling. Live like it means something. Live like it's real. Live like it's valid. Here's another one in Colossians uh, chapter 1 and verse 10. Could you read that with me as well? And we pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. Are you getting the point here? Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, every one of these books say, live a life worthy, live a life worthy, live a life worthy. No matter what happens in any era, in any challenge, it's going to be good for us to represent Christ capably. I'm really enjoying the Olympic trials. I don't know if you watch these kinds of things. Uh, this is the, uh, the London uh, gymnastics team in the, in the women's division. I think tonight they're, uh, they're choosing uh, in the finals of the Olympic trial, the, the women's gymnastics team for Rio. It's going to be really exciting. Uh, these gymnasts do, isn't it incredible? I'm not even sure they're human, the kind of things that they do. It's amazing. And as these young people, you can see the emotion that erupts from them when they are chosen for the team. Um, the men's gymnastic team, I don't know if you saw when they were announcing there was one particular fellow there that I'm really rooting for. He just lost it. I mean, I couldn't even talk. The emotion that came over him because he's representing his country. And it's true, they, it's, there's some individual honor in this. Don't get me wrong. And, and people are, are rightfully paying attention to them because of all the discipline and all the work that has landed them at this level of competition. It's just amazing. But what is on their shoulder? You see the patch on their uniform. There's a flag there. And that flag is us. And when they go and they compete well and they train hard... And they represent us in a successful way, whether they win a medal or not. But if they compete according to the rules and if they show sportsmanship, whether they win or lose, aren't you proud of these young people? Man, I am. I root for them, but I'm proud of what they represent. And they carry more than just their families and their own uh, reputations. They carry the reputation of a nation with them. 
And likewise, if they don't do well, um, that's not good either. They reflect poorly on us. If they cheat, you know, if they try to trip one of their fellow gymnasts on a floor exercise, that's not good. You know, and if they did something like that, it would be embarrassing, not only to them, but to us as a nation. We would feel, you know, I wish they would act differently because they're representing us. Well, guess what? We're all representing not only a country, but a king. And the way we conduct ourselves reflects on that king. So Paul says, no matter what happens, let's live in a way that's worthy of the savior that we have and the calling we have received. My grandma lived to be 99 years old. She was a really neat lady. I wish you could have known her. She told great stories. Uh, she was a school teacher for like a hundred of those 99 years. And uh, she, had, she had such hilarious stories of the time when she was a teacher. But she was also a Sunday school teacher to her little old ladies class. Um, and at Memorial Baptist Church in Beckley, West Virginia, she had a great Bible that was all beat up and Uh, I leafed through it sometimes and I found this little poem that talks about living worthy. And it says this, you are writing a gospel. All of us are a chapter each day by the deeds that you do and the words that you say. Men read what you write, whether faithful or true. Just what is the gospel according to you? Isn't that good? That's an old, old poem. But man, is the truth still stick? People are watching us. People are looking at us. And no matter what happens, we need to make sure that when they look at us, they see people that are representing Christ capably and well. Paul said this, it's true in the people in Philippi in the year 62 AD, and it is true in 2016. Let's represent Christ no matter what. A second emphasis he has in this passage is seen in the next verse, in verse 27, and where Paul is compelling us to stand In a unified manner, stand together, stand as one. Look at what he says. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm as in one spirit, contending as one man. Boy, can that be effective when we stand and bind together for uh, not only projects, but for purposes that reflect kingdom values in this earth. Man, oh man, when we're standing together, it makes a big difference. And I think this is true. The Lord expects us to stand alone if necessary, but together, if at all possible. It is when we stand as one that the gates of hell have a difficult time prevailing over the church. Unity braids us together in an unbreakable cord. We are so much better together than we are apart. And Paul harps upon unity time and time again, even the book of Philippians as well as other books. In chapter 2, if you were to just glance down into chapter two, he says, make my joy complete that you be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. And don't look every man on his own things, look every man on, on the things of others. And let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And, and this whole idea about unity is very, very, uh, very, very true in what Paul is saying. So we're better together than we are apart. And when I was trying to think of some things in history that made that, that principle true, I could see it happening in all eras. Uh, one of the, the times that I think is most uh, memorable, uh, and when I studied American history, was the march at Selma, Alabama. Um, these uh, African Americans were coming a, across uh, 
the bridge there to protest uh, unequal treatment under the law. And especially in the South, there were some, there were some dark times. And there were some bad things that happened. There's no doubt about that. And they were trying to get the attention of a nation to focus on some of these issues. And they tried to do so peacefully and coming across this bridge. 3,700 people marched across the bridge that day. That's a lot of people. And they came across with a message and just simply for equal treatment and equal rights under the law. And I think they probably knew what was going to happen. When they got to the other side of the bridge, they expected trouble. Trouble was lining up for them. And trouble they received. For when they got to the other side, there were beatings. People were dragged off. People were water cannoned. And they were abused. But here's what happened. They forced us to listen. And when they did that, acting as one in a unified team, it changed the nation. And it needed to, didn't it? The things they were talking about needed to be addressed. Now, if one or two people would have walked across the bridge that day, that would have been courageous. But it wouldn't have been effective when they bound together as one. As a nation, we were compelled We were compelled to listen. When we as believers operate independently, that can be very courageous. And we need to if if it comes to that. But we are so much more effective when we bind together as one. Those 3,700 people that came across the bridge that day and faced trouble. And a few days later when they entered into Birmingham, Alabama, were 25,000. 25,000. And it changed us. What would happen if we as believers would bind together? Dropping the petty things that divide us. Now, I'm not talking about saying, well, we need to come together no matter what people believe or, you know, no matter what heresy they might cling to. I'm not saying that. I realize there are times when we need to and must take a stand on things regarding truth. But a lot of the things that divide us are petty. A lot of the things that can wedge in Relationships at churches are petty. And I've been involved with some churches where splits have occurred and there's been blood in the aisles over insignificant things. May God help us to be unified. Paul said we need to live in a worthy manner and we need to be unified together and stand that way in in unity. A third thing I want you to see is this, that God calls us to contend in a courageous manner. He says this in verses 27 and 28, Stand firm then in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who would oppose you. Now we get an idea here that sometimes we're, whatever happens may involve opposition, and, and that's okay, because the church throughout all of history has had opposition. There are people today in prison in other countries who are in prison because they stood for Christ. And, and that's just part of what happens when you shout truth to a generation and to a culture that doesn't want to hear it. There will be pushback. And Paul said, whatever happens, then we need to be ready to stand courageously. I'm looking forward to in a couple of months coming into that glorious part of the year called college football season. When we have made it through the vast wasteland of baseball and basketball and all these meaningless games that go on ad nauseum forever and ever and no one really cares. 
to get to that part of the year where we truly get to enjoy an actual sport. And, and college football is one of my favorite things. And being from the South, of course, we are sworn there uh, by oath and loyalty and genetics to, uh, to really enjoy the Southeastern Conference, which has been proven time and time again to be the conference of actual champions. Um, <laughs> So as we watch, watch these teams, I, I'm just uh, blown away by the pageantry and the traditions of college football. It's just, just so fun to watch. And one of my favorite guys is Les Miles. He's a, he's a storied coach at LSU for the Tigers there. And I like it when they take time out of the pregame uh, television uh, schedule to actually film them when they come out of their uh, Tiger lair uh, onto the field. They come out, but they don't come out all together at one time and just bust onto the field. They come out and they stop. And Coach Les Miles gets in front of them and he like uh, foments the Fuhrer. He gets a stick and he just pokes them. Throws raw meat to them. And they tear into it and they're just roiling and boiling and, and just ready to come out to assault with violence, whatever team the sovereignty of God brought to the field that day. And I like what he does right after he shouts at them and goads them and challenges their manhood. Coach Miles will then turn around and place his backside to those players. And he holds them back. They're clawing at the air. They're spitting into the wind. They're ready to contend as one man. They've studied and they've prepared and they've sprinted and they're dressed and they're ready to do war. Everyone with their role, everyone with their assignment to come out. And then Les Miles, he lets them go. And then God be with them. (laughs) Whoever opposes them, they're going to face an opponent. And the LSU Tigers is their Roiling and boiling and getting ready to go. They are unafraid. They're unafraid. They'll take on anybody. They do not care. Whatever happens. They're ready to contend. In a courageous manner. And we don't represent a school. We represent a king. And if we're called upon. And opposed. Then we need to be ready. To do battle. Notice what the scripture says here. It assumes, it assumes opposition is going to occur. Notice that no one would be contending unless they're opposed. And it assumes a second thing. Write this down too. It assumes that the opposition, assumes that the opposition will be intimidating. Because the scripture says we should be with, not be frightened in any way. So there's no need to call for courage unless something scary is going on. And I'm sure there were times when Paul was scared at the opposition that was lined up against him. It's scary to be beaten. It's scary to be imprisoned. It's scary to be falsely accused. It's scary to be stoned and left for dead. Paul knew scary, and yet he stood up with courage. It assumes that we are in a fight because that opposition represents contentiousness and adversarial attitudes and actions. So Paul says this may be our lot. And whatever happens, we need to stand with courage. Junior Hill, he's an old uh, retired Southern Baptist Church pastor and uh, the convention. And he he said this, I wrote it down 
I heard it in January. He said, we need to have our minds prepared. God did not call us to a picnic. He called us to a fight. And that's why at the end of his life, the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy said, I have fought a good fight. He did not say, I have attended a pleasant picnic. He said, I fought a good fight because there was opposition. And yet, the Apostle Paul met it with courage. And he's saying that we should meet it in the same way. Whatever happens. And we don't know what's going to happen. This is the uncommon conduct that's being called for. And lastly, I want you to see this. Paul encourages to be willing to suffer in an understanding manner. We understand that it's a great privilege to be united with Christ. Look at the beginning of this verse here. It says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on Him, which is an incredible privilege, is it not? Think of all of the... Uh, all of the benefits that come our way from knowing Christ as Savior. Number one, I will never know what hell is like. Number two, I don't need another number one. Uh, number one's enough. You know, I will only know heaven is my eternal home. I'll not know the flames of judgment, even though I deserve it. E- even though I'm a prime suspect for, for that kind of judgment, Because Christ died for me as a sinner and I trust in his sacrifice, I'm not going to know that. And then there's all kinds of other benefits. There's you. There's the body of Christ. And no matter where you go, uh, anywhere in the world, you can find believers and Christians who are standing. And and there's the Holy Spirit. There's the power that comes from that. There's the peace of God. that We can list and list and list the great benefits of knowing Christ. But Paul says, not only has it been granted to us to believe but also to suffer for him. Since you were going through the same struggles you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Paul probably heard that the Philippians, the heat was getting turned up in their kitchen. And they were having to endure some opposition. So he's encouraging, whatever happens, stand courageously and and know that sometimes you're going to have to suffer and it's okay. It's okay. They were having some of the same conflicts that he was having. Being a Christian is great, but it's also challenging. And Jesus talked about this as well. Would you read this along with me? And these are two things that Jesus said to his disciples and his followers, of which we are a few. Read it with me. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. There, there it is, it's about as plain as you can say it. I'm going to give you peace, Jesus said, but sometimes things are going to happen. They're going to cause you trouble. And that's normal. It's not abnormal. That's kind of par for the course. He went on to say it in Luke 6.22. Again, if you would, read with me. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Now, did Paul know what this was like? Was Paul rejected at times and hated? insulted, persecuted? Yes, he was. So he was writing to the church to say, if this happens, it's okay. If this happens, don't panic. If this happens, don't give in. Stand courageously and understand that sometimes as a believer, we may have to suffer. Because when you stand for something, sometimes it causes you to pay a price. Well, one of my favorite historical figures is Winston Churchill. And he said this, you got enemies? Good. That means you've stood for something sometime in your life. That's true, isn't it? And when we stand for Christ, sometimes it may mean we get opposed. This is why Jesus got opposed and why he said those things. 
It is no surprise that people rejected Christ. He told them the truth, and that is uncomfortable since most people cherish their lies. He represented, he represented righteousness, and that is threatening since most people love their sin. Christ was light, and that is offensive since most people prefer darkness. Jesus promoted a heavenly kingdom, and that's confrontational since most people love this present world. No wonder he was hated. No wonder they had to silence him. No wonder murder was in their hearts. And Jesus said, if you follow me, it will make people uncomfortable. Paul says, whatever happens, let's live a life worthy. Let's stand in a unified manner. Let's conduct ourselves with courage. And let's understand that suffering may occur. Tomorrow night, I'm going to share with the teenagers... Uh, The story that had me understand most fully what my life verse meant. At Appalachian Bible College, when we came across the podium to get our our diplomas and our towel for serving, um, we would quote a life verse. This is the verse I said in 1984 when I got my diploma. It says this, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And this is really the secret sauce to our Christianity. It is this, that whatever happens, and we don't know what is going to happen, whatever happens, our God is with us. And he will not abandon us. So let's walk worthy. Let's be unified. Let's stand with courage. And let's be ready. Let's glorify God in this generation. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your truth. I thank you for this congregation who in this part of Jefferson County is representing a light in the community and to the people in the surrounding area. Thank you for the stand that they take, for the truth that is proclaimed, for the lives that are being built up and lived here, for the disciples that leave this building and affect and infect businesses and homes and schools and, and organizations because they are learning and growing and, and standing by what they hear at this place. And I pray your blessing upon this church and your blessing upon all of us as we move forward to be able to glorify you no matter what happens. And we pray this, Father, in your name. Amen.